This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 212 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands on Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we meet Hall of Famers, and we revisit an interview I had with the iconic Sheila Varian, who has since passed, but is surely not forgotten. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. How are you, Jen? Greetings, Debbie! Hi! I am, you know, I'm so glad that you made it today, because I know it's the middle of August, and you are out cruising around and having a good time, and I am interrupting you with a bit of that four-letter word called work. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we are currently, as we record this episode, prepping for mm. the Horse Radio Network Road Trip 2022 yeah. edition. Yay, and we're going to be hitching up the rig and heading out to, we're going to go Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Texas. This time it's going to be a little bit shorter than last one. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have a great time meeting up with, with uh, listeners here and there, having a couple of meetups. We're going to celebrate episode number 3000 at oh. Jamie's farm up in Oklahoma. So it's going to be amazing. a pretty exciting week. Yeah. Amazing. 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 I'm so proud of you guys. What a wild and fun run you've had. And uh, 3000 is just the beginning, right? Hey, we're just getting warmed up. <laughs> you are. You're amazing. Amazing. Up. You know how to do this now. So, well, uh, sort of. Practice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we you keep know, going. Doing, doing mm. this is just like anything else in equestrianism. It's a constant learning curve. There's uh-huh. there's always new stuff. There's always changes in technology. There's always changes in uh, the culture of horse people in the world. There's always shifts and change, and so it's it's a it's a new day every day. Really, it never gets boring. That's great. No, I you know, and basically, you guys are the imparters, teaching us the rest of the world too. So thank you for uh, you know stumbling upon innovations and things that help us do better because I always say I couldn't do this without you. I wouldn't. <laughs> In that that whole it takes a village thing is so cliche, but oh my gosh, is it true? Is it? It it takes a forum to it do takes this. A forum. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It takes a herd I, to keep a horse happy. It takes a herd to make podcasts happen too. Yeah. So. <laughs> a herd of us. Anyway, so I'm I'm really super happy that you get to get out and about and uh, some of the listeners get to see you and hear you because we had so much fun having you here during the movement. And I know not everybody got to come all the way to the West Coast. So maybe some people get some makeup time there too. Hey, and, the, uh, speaking of which, the movement, mm-hmm. is yeah. the movement still available on video? It is just becoming, well, all the past years, the four years are up there. Absolutely. And it's on a Vimeo. If you go on our website, you'll see the the Vimeo link. So and you go to horse, the, you go to MontyRoberts.com. Mm-hmm, MontyRoberts.com. Vimeo is just a video service. It's like YouTube, except yeah. it's a different company. So when you when Debbie says you go to the Vimeo, you're just ah. going to watch a video on the website. Yeah. Yes. That's, it's nothing, it's nothing crazy. No. Like, sound like Insider 
information there. But yeah. yeah. So if you go to MontyRoberts.com, you see the tabs across the top in the blue band. It says the movement. If you um, scroll down, it's our pop down. What is it called? Drop down. That's it. Yep. Past events. If you if you click on past events, it has the last four years. And that's where the new one is coming up. And in fact, the 2022 trailer is up there. So anybody who went to the movement can click on the trailer. And I think the whole thing is out very shortly. I know Janine is working like a, you know, like a She's beavering son of away a gun. at it. Yes, she's working like a, an <laughs> son of a gun right now. So exactly. even if you've never been to any of the movements, the past ones, mm-hmm. can anybody can watch. Yeah, well, they can access them. Access them. There's a charge. There's a small charge. What is it? Nine ninety five. You get right. the whole but, weekend. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. hours and hours. Oh, and yeah. So for the 2022 edition, mm-hmm. is it going to work the same way that the it's you you pay the... Nine ninety nine or whatever it is, and even if you didn't well, go to the movement, you can see it. Or is that going to be you later only on? pay for it if you didn't go? If you didn't, but go. all those that went actually get get it for free. To yeah. It. So yeah, you guys get. I was there. Another so, shot. Just at it. You were there. Same. You get a shot at it. Yeah. yeah. No, you get to see it again too, because a lot of people go pinch, pinch. Did that really happen? Yeah, it happened. And well, and you remember what it was and like what comes out on the video? You might be in watching one demonstration. You didn't get to see them all because there's stuff going on all the time. So you oh, actually get to see more yeah. if you go watch it on the video. That was the hard choice, wasn't it? I know. You're going to be out over here seeing this or here, hearing this one over there. I know. So that's why we did it, too, is because we got to have a camera in all the spots so that we, well, we only had two cameras. So really, it was at the gentling pen or the round pen or mm-hmm. it was on the mountain trail. So all those environments are covered in this. Mm-hmm. So you do get to go back. Or if you just, you know, conked out and slept in the park for half an hour and missed something. <laughs> be careful. You nice. might be in the B-roll if you conked out in the park. <laughs> You'll have to watch closely now. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I, so it, I will admit sure. you may see me there. No. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. You may have been napping. You're on East Coast time, I know. Yes. But anyway, it is almost out, Jennifer. There so I am I'm really pleased that uh, Janine is working like a son of a gun. So yeah. keep your eye out on moneyrubbers.com, the top of the page, look for the movement, and you can watch 2022 as well as previous years at your leisure. Yes, and they're all different too. We did different formats. That's our pledge is to do a different kind of format, angle, um, focus on each and every year. So don't think it's a rubber stamp at all. You know, we've had Temple Grandin. Um, that was the year of 2020, uh, 2020, and we had, you know, live streaming. So that one is completely different again too and has such great learning in it. It's just um, such a pleasure. But um, anyway, this year we had um, a wonderful sponsor who put in our swag bags, uh, Jay Michelson from Hands On Gloves made sure that everyone who attended got a pair of Hands On Gloves. And I know you were there. So what color did you get, Jen? I got green. You got green. green. And I, I have the purple that I use on my mini of course, right? Oh, your mini. Oh, my gosh. Our I, mini. Oh, mini. Her Poppy. Poppy is Poppy her name. Poppy, Poppy the, the mini. mini. And because dad loves poppies, first of all. So it is, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's in our logo. Um, poppies for the California Horse Center here. And uh, yeah, and they go beautifully well with her purple Julie Halter, of there course. Because oh, you can get them to match mini. halters. Oh, never thought oh, of that. Oh, never thought of that. Oh, never gosh, matchy, matchy. Yeah. How many um, colors but, do they come in? Three or four? Oh, there's five. Five colors? Five different ones. Yeah, but black, you know, does that count as a color? I guess. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> I'm a black. 
I actually, I, I do like black uh, countertops and things like that. Well, if you have a bay or brown horse, black is the one to go that. with because then the little hairs yeah. don't show so much on the back. Right? That's so. That's such a horse girl. That's really good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> or if you're like me and you worry about your hands-on gloves uh, going for a walkabout mm-hmm. from your tack trunk, if you mm-hmm. get the black ones, you can kind of smoosh them down to the bottom of your grooming bucket and nobody will see them down They'll there. never see them. <laughs> They're hidden. See, the green ones are really, really easy to spot in the grooming box. Just saying. True. True. And Sharpies work, girls. You know, <laughs> Sharpies, Sharpies work. Put a little Sharpie hand name on there. But um, yeah, no, but we're really thankful to Jay Michelson of Hands on Gloves. And I will say too, you know what just came out? Tempe Templeton Thompson was our concert girl and um, Jay Michelson was Hands on Gloves sponsored half of, you know, we shared in Tempe coming out here too. And she just released Get Back Up. She just released her video and her new album and everything too. And that's a thank you too to Jay Michelson from Hands on Gloves. He does support our horse girls so well. And he makes a great product, by the way, too. Yeah, he it makes a great product. really well. Great, great grooming tool for dogs, cats, goats, alpacas. Yep. Um, if you've got a furry animal, they will appreciate a hands-on glove. Just go to handsongloves.com and you can find them there. And speaking of amazing, fun, cool, interesting, and informative, I think it's time to introduce our first guest, and I cannot wait to hear this mm. interview. Patricia Kelly has a master's degree in nonprofit management and is a United States Marine Corps veteran serving during the Vietnam War as a message decoder and received training in military intelligence with military clearance for secret and top secret messages. Patricia is also a certified urban writing instructor, a master urban writing instructor, a certified equine husbandry instructor, and is a certified equine assisted psychotherapy horse specialist. She's certified. In 1984, Patricia Kelly founded Ebony Horsewoman, Inc., a 501c3 equestrian nonprofit community service organization operated by African-American female equestrians whose mission is to encourage and empower youth toward positive and successful lives through the use of horses and equine-assisted therapy. Patricia has been the chief executive officer now for 38 years and is currently the only African-American operated organization training and certifying mental health professionals in the modality of equine assisted psychotherapy in the nation. Patricia has been named CNN's top 10 hero, National Cowboys of Color Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame inductee into the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame. State of Connecticut African American Affairs Woman of the Year, Urban League Community Service Award, Boy Scouts of America Award, Spirit of Scouting Award, and many other awards I couldn't list all here. So if you want to see her whole history, go to ebonyhorsewomen.org forward slash history to see the complete list of awards. Well, welcome. Welcome, Patricia Kelly. Can I call you Pat? Yes, you can. Oh, you're so cool. So I I had so much fun on that Trailblazers episode. I was so honored to be on that with you. Um, that Stream Horse Life was um, amazing. And that's where I got to know you. And I've been remiss in not having you on Horsemanship Radio. We're really excited to have you on. We've heard a little bit about your background. And um, I just hope that you'll give us a little inspiration today 
from all your experience with horses, horses seem to be at the center of your life no matter what you do. Do you think that's by your design or some higher power? Oh, it absolutely was not by my design, at least not by my conscious design. Okay, that's right. Um, you know, growing up, I I thought I always wanted to be a nurse, and um, I um, signed up for a um, program that was with a local hospital called the Candy Stripers. Oh yeah, and um, I I finally got my little candy striper cap and and apron, and I was so excited. I'm gonna, you know, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a nurse, and I um, went. And then I had the head nurse to say, you know, these are your assignments for today. She wanted me to feed this gentleman and he would not eat and oh. uh, come to find out the reason why he wouldn't eat. It was because he was dead. And oh, I no. thought, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> oh, but I had been involved with horses since the age of nine. And I didn't learn that my dad was a jockey until I was in my 30s. So I think it was always in my blood and just waiting for an opportunity to, to come out and expose itself. And I always used to say that God has jokes. <laughs> and his jokes was that, you know, go go to school, go to college, go to law school, all of that. You're going to need that. <laughs> uh, but you're going to be messing around with kids' man- manure and horses. Yeah. That's what you're going to do. So, <laughs> Mucking stalls and playing with kids. That's great. The whole bit. The whole bit. Yeah, well, you're well educated. You're, that's no true. That's so true, and um, and it, I bet it did prepare you for an amazing career that you are still knee deep in. I'm I'm just so inspired by all the things you've been able to achieve so far, and I, I imagine that you look at your list and still have things to do. But you said that um, I think it's on your website that I read that your inspiration came from an inner city child who would ask you. Is that a real horse? Were you sitting on a horse when she asked that? Well, and- yeah. Well, I had I had already formed the Ebony Horsewomen, and the Ebony Horsewomen at that point were a group of women, and it was a women's organization. I see. And we often would ride through Keeney Park, which is um, where we are located now. Our facility is in, in Keeney, is 693 acres. And, of course, you know, parks are, are visited by a lot of children, and these little boys did not understand that I was on a horse, a real horse. And I was just, I was flabbergasted by that. Like, my God, sweetheart, what did you think it was? And yeah. he was like, see, I told you, I told you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, we got to do something about this. So, ah, good. yeah, it was, it was, uh, I guess it was all in the plan. <laughs> yeah. All in the plan. And at that point, we changed the organization from a woman's organization to address the needs of children. Good. Good. They need good, strong men in their life as well, right? Um, you know, women's organizations are really smart when they bring in some really good examples of male, um, whatever it is, leadership, you know, that whatever the organization is. And I, I think that is kind of critical. We work with some veterans here, too. And thank you for being a United States Marine. You have a pretty interesting background that I you probably have to kill me if I asked, you know, questions about that. <laughs> I don't know, military clearance I don't have. So, but I, mm-hmm. I appreciate when veterans, um, we have some all women groups sometimes that will come in with post-traumatic stress and they often will ask if an organization has invited them in to please not have any males in the, 
the weekend that we put on. We put on a three-day weekend. Uh, but that's often a heavy ask because we have some really talented males uh, in our group too, like a pastor. And, um, you know, a judge once told me, you know, bring in strong male influences that are gentle and they will maybe change their mind about some of the problems they had in the military because of men. And I think that's been true. So I'm glad that you kind of opened that up. Um, I really wanted to ask you more about that Keeney Park, though. I mean, how did you get to be an organization on a 693-acre park that has 25 miles of well-maintained trails? I mean, that is yeah, a dream. It's a beautiful, it's oh. a beautiful park. It was uh, designed by Frederick Olmsted that also designed Central Park. And um, Keeney Park, of course, well, first of all, Harvard is the capital city of Connecticut. And um, there was some land deals between um, Henry Keeney and another well-to-do family. And um, Henry Keeney was able to uh, garnish this land. And then at, towards the end of his life, he willed it over to the city of Hartford. Um, Keeney Park had always been um, in a white neighborhood. However, in the 60s, and particularly after the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King, the neighborhood demographics changed and it became a people of color community that surrounds Keeney Park. Um, and so it was not far. It was only four blocks from where I was raised. So um, the park had so much land and not a lot of activities involved in it. And we were um, able to, to, to get this land for, from uh, a mayor of Hartford, Mayor Mike, who kind of understood what we were trying to do. But how, however, in terms of the strong male piece of it, there was an organization prior to ours called the Ebony Horse Men. And they had been around since the mid-50s, and they began to phase out around the mid-70s. And then they absolutely were phasing out at the end of the, the 70s into the 80s. And I founded Ebony Horse Women um, on the living room floor of one of the Ebony Horse Men members' um, home. So we had, in this community, we had that strong influence of black yeah. cowboys. And we were very fortunate for that. So uh, when we came along, it wasn't, it wasn't very hard for them to understand the other side of of uh, the horsemanship from women because they we had always seen the, the ebony horse men around, but the the park is absolutely gorgeous. So we were able to get um, the building where we are now that used to belong to the Harford Mounted Patrol Unit, but um, horses were very difficult to be kept, you know, with the budget and the city budget. So they could not maintain that budget. Uh, a line item for the horses, so they disbanded, and we moved into that building, and we've been building ever since. We've been here for about 23 years now. Amazing. Hey, um, in 23 years, you've been growing and getting more recognition all along, too, not only for horses, but for inner-city youth and for people who you're leveling the playing field, and I, I love that. What do you think is the next step? for EHI at this point, too. Well, we actually, 
we actually have a museum going up as we speak oh, now. Um, there's there's constructions that construction that is started for a mini black cowboy cowgirl museum. Actually, it's called the Mary Stagecoach Mary Fields Museum. So that is another piece of of what we want to offer for the the children and residents in in Hartford, um, particularly addressing the history of the black cowboy and black cowgirl for the youth and and residents of Hartford. Um, After that, um, we do have, uh, the board has, I shouldn't say I have, the board has um, in works um, to build another indoor arena, something larger than what we have now, because we do get a lot of kids and a lot of adults that come in for equine-assisted psychotherapy, and we're competing for space in the winter, as you might imagine, for that space when we have a lot of clients to come in for therapy and writing lessons as well. So that's the next piece on the agenda. That's great. Yeah, I I know, and we noted that you're a Hall of Fame inductee, not only in the National Cowboys of Color Hall of Fame, but also in the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame. I think both of those are in Fort Worth, if I'm yes. Yeah, correctly. That's yeah, true. that's fantastic. What year were you inducted in that, and what is there a story behind that? I was inducted in the multicultural, I think they call it now the Multicultural um, Museum in Fort Worth in 2006 and in the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame in 2015. Fantastic. Um, I think that came off of the heels of me being um, a CNN top 10 hero. Um, I think that was one of the... Um, and which is which leads into what we're doing now. I think it was one of the ways in which the the Cowgirl Hall of Fame understood or knew what was happening in other parts of the country in terms of, you know, Western horsemanship and and so forth and so on. So I think they they got wind of that because that I, I was a top ten CNN hero. Well, and you probably needs I mean the museum might be paid for but I kind of doubt I if I know nonprofits you're always looking for support for the next thing to grow into and I know this is such a worthy path a journey that you've taken and are on for everything is mental health is is that an issue that's growing I would think the answer is yes from all the covid things but do you see an increase in the the need and the need for resources Absolutely. Um, I think there has had always been a need for um, therapies to address um, mental health. I think COVID uh, exploded that and brought it out uh, even greater, uh, particularly during the isolation periods. Um, I think it, it is still having a tremendous effect on society. Um, I've seen um, our numbers grow for people needing therapy. And what was interesting about it, not just the traditional therapies, because as you can remember during isolation, there could not be a um, one-on-one in an office setting kind of therapeutic sessions because of COVID. Um, But with equine-assisted psychotherapy, it could be delivered outdoors with horses, which gave you some of that... um, space in, in which to continue to do that and with within nature and with, of course, uh, a horse. So a lot of people diverted from the 
face-to-face with a therapist in an office kind of therapy to a more uh, holistic, outdoor, um, nature-inspired kinds of therapies, which, again, was equine-assisted psychotherapy. So the numbers rose tremendously, not only for children, but for adults as well. Yes, exactly. Um, Again, with the either the traumatic stress that's going on or just trying to live in a COVID world, you know, did bring on a lot. And it was great to be able to get out with horses. I know some people's equestrian centers were closed down and that's not fair. But uh, for most people, they actually got reconnected with their horses. So if um, you're even just talking about normal mental health, um, yeah, getting outside, it was a great boon for that. But that boon, you hate to see retract. It's like all these people who adopted dogs during COVID, you know, you hope that it sticks. They went to the, they went to the trouble and the, the wonder of adopting a dog, but do they keep it? And the same thing with horses too. We saw that big uptick in adopting horses too. And, you know, we're hoping now that um, brilliant people like you, Pat, will, um, people will see the value. And I love that you're putting a museum together to show the value of what you can do through horses, the flight animal, which is such a special quality about horses that helps with the therapy. What do you say is probably the most important quality in a horse that helps you with delivering your psychotherapy? Well, there isn't um, a particular type. I think because of their makeup of being prey animals and having the ability to measure energy levels, that whether you have a hot blood, a warm blood, cold blood horse, um, old horse, young blood, a young horse, it doesn't matter. They have the ability to measure energy levels, and I think that's one of the attributes that is most important for a therapist um, to be able to understand what's going on, even when the client cannot articulate it and cannot it cannot um, get to the root of the trauma, the horse the horse is so sensitive to that energy level that that it gives the therapist information that the client may not be able or willing to divulge. The second piece of it is that regardless, um, um, the therapeutic benefit of being around horses helps to, again, lower some anxieties and some stresses um, and make the client feel um, a little bit more relaxed. And what happens generally is that when that client begins to feel a little bit less anxiety, a a less um, um, confusion and, and and stress, um, they're able to really get to the real issue of, of, of their mental health concerns. Um, and that's what's very, very valuable. Yes. So it really doesn't matter the breed or the color or the age because the horse comes equipped because of his own safety. These mechanisms that give the therapist information that is, that is needed. Nice. They read intent so well, those horses, don't they? They just, they can, yeah, they yeah. get a baseline on everything. And I love that. If if you're a, if you're a, a young person that comes to Patricia Kelly and says, man, I, I, you inspire me. I love what you do. I love my horses. I'd love to go into equine assisted psychotherapy or even just therapy. Um, where would you have them start? Well, there's a fair amount of training. So we, we certify in equine-assisted psychotherapy ourselves, and there's um, eight, six weeks of training along with uh, two days of in-person training. 
So the one, you need knowledge and you need information. And then you need the, the the practicum of being out with horses and understanding, you know, intimately how they react and how they they um, maneuver through their own society. One of the um, things that's beautiful about horses is that their their herd um, society should be <laughs> much like our human society. Uh, yeah. Um, but they do a much better job at it than we do. And uh, when you understand that, it's it's a valuable information because we get a lot of uh, people who come here and we'll ask a question, well, you know, look at this herd or look at that herd over there and tell me who you think is the alpha yeah. herd. And people always say, you know, the biggest horse, the biggest, strongest horse out there. And it's usually alpha is the smallest, oldest horse out there. <laughs> and, they un- and then they, through observation, they see how that herd maneuvers for its own safety. And, and one of the easiest ways to find out is when it's feeding time, who gets to go to the gate first? <laughs> exactly. You know, that's alpha, yeah. you know, and that, that respect is there. And it's not because, you know, we all voted and we think that you're the best guy. Yeah. It is, you know, you have the heart and, and the, the, the leadership to lead. And so it keeps us all safe. And I so wish that we behave that same way, but we don't. But it's, it's that kind of information that these therapists need to have. And so once they finish the six weeks of, um, of training, two days of um, in-person, then they have to be shadowed mm-hmm. by uh, already a certified and licensed therapist uh, for another two months before we turn them loose. The other piece that is critically important is that they must be culturally competent. Mm. And and um, many of our therapists are black and brown people because they understand the cultures and subcultures within our ethnicity. So that yeah. is so very yeah. important because sure. if you don't, you can misdiagnose. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's um, yeah. I mean, it is the one place where we probably worry the most that we're going to do the right thing. Um, and so we, for for our program for veterans, you know, we're so careful to use veterans, you know, <laughs> seems like a silly and obvious thing. But if you don't, you're going to mess up. You know, you, you're either going to be smoked by somebody and they're going to fool you um, about mm-hmm. something. Um, they can certainly hide things. But also, you're you're going to step on toes too if you don't know what you're doing, and so right. it, it's just like that. I, I parallel that. I hope that's a fair parallel, but I think it is that um, you know you can't fool another veteran as a veteran. So, um, and if you're a therapist too, and you're a horseman, it works perfectly. I think too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so proud of what I'm sure you get this all the time, Pat, but I want to say it out loud. I'm just so proud of what you've been able to accomplish over these decades. And I'm so proud of what you're going to do in the future, too, because I think you are right at the forefront of a trend that's happening in this country where people are going to recognize those qualities of equine assisted psychotherapy and equine therapy and outdoor therapy. Anyway, you know, it, it isn't relegated to an office in a chair anymore. And I think um, the physicality of it is also very healing. So I hope people. Absolutely. And you, you know, you mentioned veterans. Um, um, When I first uh, discharged from the Marine Corps, I worked for a law firm and I was assigned to upgrade bad paper and bad paper 
paper is um, when veterans are discharged with um, dishonorable and general discharges. Mm -hmm. So they can't get any veteran benefits. And um, it, it's it's so important to understand what, and, and not only what they go through, but at what what part of their service they were subjected to, what, what they the, what wars were they involved in? The Korean War or the Vietnam War or um, Desert Storm War? Those things are critically important to know that because even though war is war, they went through different yep. um, kinds of trauma. Yep. And if you not know that, um, you can you could really mess things up. And if you don't understand the training that um, soldiers go through. Mm -hmm. To, to to be placed into combat and what happens when they come home and don't get deprogrammed. Yeah, that's it. Th then they are out in the community with these issues and and people need to understand, you know, what went on. So, so yeah, it's, I just, the work with veterans is, is really important. You really got to know what you're doing when you're working with a veteran because what you don't want to do is to exacerbate the trauma. Yeah, exactly. By not knowing. Yeah, exactly. There's so much work to do, Pat, and I'm so glad that you're at the helm there doing it on your coast. We'll we'll do what we can from our standpoint on this coast, and I hope we get to meet in person sometime, not just Zoom. <laughs> oh, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I'd love having you out here, and I'd love to see your part of the country. It sounds beautiful, and uh, what you're doing is beautiful. So thank you for being on Horsemanship Radio. I'd love to have you back. You keep us posted on that museum, and um, we'll keep cheering you on, and I hope people will support you financially and encourage you as well. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. To say that Sheila Varian is a breeder and a competitor of fine Arabian horses may be the biggest understatement in the horse world. 70% of today's Arabian show horses winning today carry Varian blood. Varian Arabians have over 50 years of breeding success. For her contributions as a breeder and as a horse trainer in the Vaquero tradition, she was inducted into the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame in 2003. Welcome, Sheila Varian. Thanks for joining us today, Sheila. How's everything going out there? Everything's just fine, Debbie. I'm really excited to have you on. It's been a while since I've seen you, but I know you were just out at the Light Hands uh, Horsemanship Clinic workshop over a couple of weeks ago, and I just missed you. Mom and Dad were out there with you, though, and said you were riding well and looking good. <laughs> it was fun. It was nice to get back on my horse. It's been six months. Has it been six months? Well, Sheila's had some health challenges, but uh, she's back, and uh, I'm sorry I missed that, but I, I know that you're probably getting excited to do some more riding now. Actually, I'm going to ride this afternoon, and we're uh, working hard on our 60-year celebration, which is going to come up here uh, August 2nd and 3rd. I can't believe it. It's your Diamond Jubilee? Yep. Is Diamond that's... Jubilee that I've uh, had Arabian horses. Yeah, exactly, yeah, and that's 60 years. You can't, you 
you, you can't have, you must have like done warp time in your life. I don't know how you do 60 years, huh? <laughs> well, we'll just, uh, we'll just leave it as it is. Yeah, just say, I started when I was two, and uh, <laughs> no, you have built quite a, a huge operation out there, but in a, in a quiet and incremental way. I love, your, um, I love your whole philosophy about your Arabian Breeding Association and, um, and how you breed your horses, but I, I told people when I was introducing you that uh, you have not only contributed um, hugely to the breeding and training of Arabians, but that you're also uh, a woman of the Vaquero tradition and that you were inducted into the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame in 2003. Do those two worlds uh, seem like oil and water or they just seem magical to you? No, they seem perfectly normal to me. Um, I've been riding after cattle and on ranches ever since I was a kid. And mostly I got to start getting on ranches when I had Arabian horses. So no one has ever complained about me and my Arabian horses and and the ranching philosophy. Um, And I was lucky to learn from Sid Spencer, who was a wonderful woman rancher out here about uh, 10 miles from me, uh, the Vaquero tradition when I was a little girl, when I was like 14 or so. So that really stuck with me. And I have been interested and followed that my whole life. And and I've watched that just about my whole, well, definitely my whole life. Um, we We lived not too far from each other when I was born in San Luis Obispo. And uh, I know that you are a true horsewoman from uh, the get-go. You you were at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo um, when I remember you first, I believe. And I used to ride from here over to where you lived. Yeah. And it, on occasion worked cattle with uh, your dad, Monty. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. A lot of great horsemen have come out of the Western tradition and have, have gone on to be quite influential. Um, according to, I was reading Arabian Horse World magazine statistics, and Varian Arabians, that's you, is the all-time leading breeder of English horses and all-time leading breeder of Western horses. That's amazing, out of the Western tradition. Isn't it Arabian? It just seems like an anomaly. Well, you know, of all the breeds, the Arabian can do more things uh, quite differently. And so <clears throat> when uh, I was coming up the ranks, there was a period of time when the Arabian horse, Western horse, wasn't as important in our breed as the English horses. So mm-hmm. I bred and rode English horses. But I always had my Western horses uh, in my mind, and so eventually we came generations down of the stallions to the stallion Desperado, and he really uh, got me back into riding with a hackamore and a spade bit, and I was riding out on Don Severa's ranch, mm-hmm. and um, so that got me back into the ranching end of it again, mm-hmm. and I've just kept that going for the last uh, 30 years. Yeah, amazing. So as a competitor, not just the breeder, what do you breed for in your Arabians? Well, I, I breed, of course, for um, 
confirmationally good horses. I mean, if they aren't confirmationally good, then we have nothing anyway. Good point. I, um, I mean, they've got to be pretty. Arabian horses are pretty, so <laughs> more than some other breeds, I still want a really beautiful horse. Mm. But he has to be, he has to have a good saddleback. He's got to have good feet. Uh, he has got to have certainly a good brain and, and very trainable. I want him easy to train because uh, I don't want to, I, I always say, I don't want to sweat. Yeah. If I don't want to sweat, then I have a, to have a horse that is very trainable and doesn't uh, cause me any trouble. And that's pretty much an Arabian horse. That's true. It's true. I saw you on, we were together on an ACTHA ride, American Competitive Trail Horse Association, oh, a few years ago. And I was on a little two or three-year-old just starting out. And uh, you won everything. I think there were 60 riders in this little upstart uh, uh, competition we were in six miles six what do they say six miles six obstacles or something and uh you were amazing and your horse was so quiet and beautiful and uh, do, do you do a lot of trail riding with your horses to keep them not just in the show ring well that that particular horse and the ones that i'm riding now i really don't show uh mm-hmm. they just strictly ranch ride i'm not too good on trail riding because i always tend to go off the trail and, and go through <laughs> something. But um, those the horses that I personally ride, and there's three of them, those horses uh, don't go to shows. They just uh, are the ones that if somebody calls and said they're going to gather, they're the ones that mm-hmm. I throw in the trailer and off we go. And they, they're very useful horses. They, they know their job. And that was really fun. It was really the only one I've been on. I'd love to go on another one sometime. Oh, that should, was fun. It was fun. Huh? It's a great concept. Yeah, let's do one together. I, I know there, that Rancho Oso above uh, Lake Kachuma there is so gorgeous. I'd forgotten how big those trees are up there and how beautiful and shaded it is. And Yeah, well, let's do that again. next time. I will. I will. I didn't know you were going to be on that one. It was exciting. But, um, you know, I know that you've got such a great operation there, too. I'm thinking about those horses. Who were you on the light hands then? One of those three or? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. A horse Beautiful. named Jubilation. Jubilation. Yeah. That's yes. It. And he's, he's, what, five or six generations of, of I guess, five uh, going straight back through the stallions that I stood to the original stallion, Bayabi, mm-hmm. and then several generations in the mare as well. Mm, fun. So how many generations back now is your breeding program? Nine through the mothers, the wow. dams. Wow. And, and now I'm standing a really great young horse, a two-year-old that I'm just wild about. Mm. And he's six generations uh, directly back, right through the stallions, through uh, his sire is McClintock, who's sired by Desperado, who's sired by... Huckleberry Bay, Bale Bay, Bay Abbey goes right back. Good grief. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know how many people can claim anything of, of that kind of lineage with so many champions, too. Uh, I, I love your team out there, too. Do you want to give a shout-out to any of your team members? I know they're part of that success. My, my I'm sorry, what members? So, so, a shout-out to some of your team members, some of the people that have worked for you for so long. Oh, oh, well... Um, Goodness, am I lucky or what? Angela yeah. Alvarez has been here 28 years. Yes. Um, Bob just retired. He'd be 28. Maddie's been here 28. Jaime has been here 21 or two. Mike, 
19 or so, Miguel, 25. So we've got a crew that really knows what they were doing. In fact, today we were just out videoing uh, horses for our uh, summer, our, our Diamond Jubilee in August. And I was thinking, you know, we've been doing this together so long. Angela does the videoing. And then Mike and Jaime and I, and we always handle the same areas in the arena. We know just what we're doing. Uh, yeah, Everybody nice. works together so well as a team. And it definitely um, makes everything you do easier, you know. Definitely. But it takes a long time. It does not happen mm -hmm. instantly. It's a mm -hmm. long period, and you have to have people that stick around and then that will learn to do it the way you want to do it because I am the one that is responsible for it, whether it's good or not good. And yeah. so I take on that responsibility strongly. And so, and Angela and I work very much as a team here in the office. She, she does so many things, um, and, and we've gotten so good at what we do that we communicate, but I don't have to necessarily tell her what to do. She, mm -hmm. she knows what, uh, what the ranch needs, and we just communicate about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You've always been uh, a woman that knew what she wanted and, and ahead of the curve for sure. Uh, I remember, you know what I'm going to say, that uh, the most notable horse I remember is Ronteza. Uh, can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about, I think this goes back to 61, I want to yes. say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, I was young, and so I've always said about Ronteza. Now, what's what's really extraordinary about that young mare is nobody else ever rode her. I, uh, I rode her through all of her training, all of her showing, and then on through her later life, and then stopped riding her when she was 10, because I always felt like I was either going to have her in condition and show and ride her well, or I wasn't going to ask her to do all of those things. So I got her as a two-year-old. She was the second horse I ever put into a spade bed. And, and you know, um, I, I was good with horses, but you're still young and you're mm -hmm. still, you only know so many things. And I've always said about that mare is that she took me by the hand Aww. and that I, the, the smartest thing that I had to offer was that I, when I didn't know how to do something and I didn't have a teacher or, or anybody, I was doing it on my own. Mm -hmm. When I didn't know how to do something and, and we, it wasn't happening, I was asking her to do something and nothing was going right, then I would get off and sit on a stump and think about it until I could visualize my way through it and then usually when I mounted back up, she would kind of take the ball. <laughs> and how that little mare ever got to be so great is mm -hmm. just her. She yeah. was just a star. I mean, she really learned to work cattle um, in the arena showing. I rode her out at Sid Spencer's after cattle, but we mm -hmm. didn't have an arena. We didn't work anywhere. Wow. And I can tell you an interesting story about your dad that I always have always appreciated. Okay, good. Um, one time I rode over to your house, mm -hmm. and you had the big arena, and you had cattle. 
Yeah. I didn't have any <laughs> cattle. And so I wanted to work her down the fence a few times and in the arena because, as I said, I didn't have that to do. And I got on her. Now, she'd already been shown quite a bit, so your dad knew her well, and, and he'd, we'd competed against one another a lot. Good. So I went down the fence, and she went by. She went by her cow. Yeah. And I was so surprised because this mare never went by a cow. And I tried it again, and she went by again, and I was just sitting there nonplussed, and your dad said, you know what, just don't do anything, because that mare will never go buy cattle unless there's something wrong. And so I just rode home and uh, didn't do anything, and that was the only time she ever went by cattle. And what was wrong, do you think? But he, I don't know, but your dad was smart enough to say, Ah, yeah. It was intuitive. Don't, yeah. don't correct her, don't do anything about her, because that's not her. She yeah. won't go by cattle. Ah. So don't do anything except the fact that there is something wrong. And I was rode home and gave her a few days off and went back to doing what I normally did. Wow, that is a cool story because she did, uh, listeners might not know, but we'll let them know right now, that she beat uh, 50 horses of all breeds to win the 1961 Rain Cow Horse Championship at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, California. And uh, there weren't a lot of women that had ever won that, had there been any? Um, I, I don't know if there were any. Yeah, and I don't think there had been any Arabian no, mares. No Arabians, that. and I was an amateur at that point. No, there amateur. you go. That is an but, amazing. I don't. Yeah, there's a but. But I have to say, you know, people were really good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they seemed to appreciate. I was teaching school at that time, so I wasn't hanging around with anybody. I was pretty much teaching school, riding my horses and going on about my business. Mm -hmm. And I didn't... People were very good about being supportive, as I recall. I mean, I never had people giving me a hard time because I had an Arabian horse. Certainly at that time, if you rode a good horse, it didn't matter what it was, they liked Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And that that was all of the information that I got. And then I met Tom Dorrance, Mm-hmm. a couple of years after the Cow Palace, and he was really influential to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what a great upbringing he gave you, uh, a spin on all these Arabian horses, but he didn't care if a horse was Arabian or Morgan or anything else. He just worked no. with the horse that he had. Hmm. Yeah, he, he he brought in a whole different different feeling on things. I mean, mm-hmm. he brought in all the softness that we all learned to enjoy, and didn't know about when we were all growing up with this. Tradition, yeah, that's right, that's right. What's the one thing that uh, that you still enjoy from tradition? Because I know we've thrown a lot of it out, you know, just what you were just referring to, but have oh, you kept any, yeah? Oh, I, I sure have. Um, <clears throat> beauty, the beauty of the tradition that the style of it. I mean, you can still do all the same things. Yeah. You just approach it in a little different way. We have a different kind of horse now than they had then. We're mm. not going out and catching five-year-old wild horses mm. uh, that have not the same kind of breeding that we're breeding now with these softer horses. So 
Uh, I think we still breed and train a lot the same way. It's the softer training now, which is certainly more enjoyable. I mean, it's not... I mean, the vaquero life was not an easy life. Mm. That was a difficult time. It was it was a time when um, horses were not as valuable as they are now. Mm. And, however, I still totally believe in the ride out and uh, school around a bush and all of the things that were important at that in the vaquero life, which was riding a lot of hours and not asking a lot in between a lot of those hours, I still believe in that. And the equipment, um, certainly I have a lot of the old equipment, so does your dad, mm-hmm. and I think we will always appreciate it and yeah. enjoy it, and I certainly will always work with the vaquero idea in mind. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, the beautiful artisans, really, that have created the generations. And it is generational with the equipment, too. Uh, It's being passed down to the children, so it is a beautiful tradition for the equipment alone. Mm -hmm. Well, we we really want to invite people to come and see. What would they need to do to come see your Diamond Jubilee in August? Well, they can go to my website, which is varianarabians.com. Okay. And uh, they can read about it. They can always call me. My telephone number is on it. On okay. there, or they can go to contact me, which comes directly to me. Okay. And, nice. um, and there's a charge. It's a two-day affair. Uh, if they sign up for the full two days, they also get a ticket to the documentary that's been put together. Quite spectacularly. I'm right. Quite yeah. impressed. I. I'm not into this kind of thing too much, but I must say I'm getting excited about it. And oh, the photos are beautiful. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be at the Clark Center for the Performing Arts on Saturday night, and they can either go to the whole event, Saturday and Sunday during the day, or just go to the Clark Center, and it's all on the website, or they can call me if they want more info. That's great, Sheila. And everybody should uh, go to appreciate a, a 60-year-old tradition of Arabian breeding like none other. I, I don't know. Some of the championships and, and statistics you've racked up, I don't know if anybody could ever uh, compile the, the history that you have and you've put together. Thank you, Sheila. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in Welcome back, Audrey Griffin. Thank you for agreeing to come back and sharing with our listeners um, a favorite tip of yours. I don't even know what it is, so let us know. Okay, well, when you're in a group riding, or even if it's just two or three or four of you, if somebody has to get off their horse for some reason, it's really important that you stay with them until they get back on, because sometimes if you keep riding, their horse gets a little... uh, anxious and uh, bad things might happen. And also, when you approach a gate and the gate is shut, you go through the gate, but make sure that you close that gate after you're on the other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds like something you've learned the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we all learn things the hard way, but, you know, it just comes down to basic manners. It's really important to have good manners all the time, even on your horse. Yeah, both for for the people and the animals, isn't it? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And you know something? You make friends if sometimes you volunteer as the person on the tall horse to get off and open and close that gate. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't always make the guy on the short horse do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and there's some girls, there's some people that just always have to be up front and open up the gates. And you know something? I just love it. I thought if they want to do it, that makes me happy. That's right. That's right. We'll have to add that. Our, our Equus Online University, that uh, Dad does these recordings of lessons. We have almost 300 up there now. We don't have manners. Uh, we have a lot of mounting block lessons. Everything. We'll have to add that to it, Audrey. Could you be one of our models? Absolutely. Oh, great. Good. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll work on the script with Jen. She's got all the best punchlines for that. Too. Okay. That's great. <laughs> Well, thanks again. Thanks for being back with us, Audrey. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. In August, we have August 18, right now here, 18 to 20, we have the introductory course, Module 2, that's join up. Then we have August 22 to 24, the Module 3, Log Lining. August 26 through 28, we have a horse sense and healing. That's for our veterans with post-traumatic stress that we mentioned in this interview. And then August 29 through 31, we have Module 4, which is preparation for the intro exams. And you can find all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com. You can also call the folks at the California Horse Center. Yahoo! <laughs> at, which is Slag is Up Farms, by the way. It's got a yes. new name because there's all sorts of exciting things going on there. By the way, Debbie, mm-hmm. make sure the next episode I quiz you a little about, about all the exciting new things going on at the California oh, Horse Center. I'd love to chat about it. I want to tell the world. And you're going to phone, uh, phone them at 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, you can go to horsemanship.com. Horsemanship. <laughs> I've never done this before. Be for careful. De- for <laughs> details about today's show, you can go to horsemanshipradio.com where you're going to find links, photos, mm-hmm. and more information about today's guests and topics. Yep. We love your feedback. We love your interaction. A great way to do that, of course, is on social media. On Facebook, Monty Roberts, the one with the little blue check mark. On Twitter and Instagram, it's Monty underscore Roberts. An underscore, by the way, folks, is the little dash that's at the bottom. It sinks. Yeah, it goes to the, <laughs> the sinking dash. The sinking dash. The sinking dash. Uh, low hyphen is what it is. <laughs> Many thanks to our sponsors, too. That is Hands on Gloves and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 